Hey there, just wanted to let you guys know that the audio on this episode is a little bit uh, different than normal. Um, I just switched to a new sound mixer, and so a little more high-end's coming in on Tony's end than probably should. But it's not like that for the entire episode. It's just little bits and pieces here and there. But just wanted to give you a heads up for when you when you hear those differences. So uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. And I am Tony the Quack. So uh, the movie we're doing today is uh, a, a, I think it's a very underrated time travel movie. It's, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Looper, the uh, Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt time travel romp from uh, Rob. <laughs> from 2012. So we're going a little bit more recent than we've been going with movies lately. Uh, but <laughs> yes, romp, I said it. it it's, it's a time travel romp. Yes, directed by Ryan Johnson, who is probably more recently well known for The Last Jedi, Star Wars Episode Eight. But he also did Knives and Out that, and Glass Onion. Yeah, he was very yeah. indie focused with his first two, and this was more towards his mainstream. Yeah, he did do Glass Onion having, also, right? The sequel, yes, sequel to Knives Out. Both were him. Yeah, both were him. Okay, I thought he had directed that one too, but anyway, yeah, but yeah. So back to Looper. Uh, but this is really his kind of first. I wouldn't say breakout because Brick was kind of a very big indie hit among certain groups, but he had to really know indie movies to know. Yeah. And then he had the Brothers Bloom, but Looper, he had Joseph Gordon Lovett, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, Jeff Daniels, quite the cast. And even Garrett Dillahunt, who I'm a big fan of. Yes. Who uh, has not been in enough stuff. I mean, he's, he's one of those people that, that you recognize him when you see him. But he hasn't had a whole lot of like leading roles. And it's funny, like one of my favorite roles of his is actually in No Country for Old Men. And again, it's a very you know, it's a you know, he's got several scenes. It's not like it's just one scene and he's gone. Requires acting and creating a character. He's kind of funny in it, you know, and his character in this is very different. Yeah. I almost forgot Paul Dano was in it. I mean he he does a good job in it too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you said it's Ryan Johnson and in some ways, it was kind of his introduction to a wider audience. So it was yep. 2012. And it's funny. I watched this because it came out in the fall. I think yeah, I think it was like September 2012. I when it came out. I bought the Blu-ray and watched it then. And until this past week, this is the first time I've watched it in like 10 years. Really? Huh. So, I, see, I, yeah. saw it, I saw it in the theater. And then when it came out, I bought it on Blu-ray. And I've watched it a couple of times since. But I've probably seen it maybe maybe five or six times in the last 10 years. Maybe not even that many times. But yeah, I've seen it a handful of times. Yeah, when it came out, I was excited because you know, it's Bruce Willis. It's an action-oriented Bruce Willis movie. And it's a futuristic movie, and also a time travel movie. It melds kind of the two a little yeah. bit. It takes place in the future. And it involves time traveling, but it talks about time travel more and actually being part of the plot. Yeah. Like someone does travel back in time, obviously. We'll get to that. But most of the movie really takes place within the present day of the 2040s, right? Yeah, like 2041 or something like that. So it's a futuristic movie in time travel. Maybe it's 20, like 2039, oh. but either way. But anyway, oh, by the way, uh, spoiler alert. If you have not seen this movie, we are going to be talking about every part of it. So beginning, middle, end, all that stuff. So if you don't like spoilers, if you don't want to be spoiled, then uh, pause the podcast, watch the movie, come back and listen. <laughs> if you don't care about spoilers, yeah. if you don't mind being spoiled, then uh, go ahead and keep on listening. Anyway, now that that's out of the way. Well, I kind of like 
you know, at the time I thought about it was Bruce Willis, you know, he had like a cameo in The Expendables, even doing some direct video kind of like action movies. But um, just before that, he did have Red. It's kind of, it seemed like his first new action movie in a while. Yeah. That was Red before this or after it? Yes. So I was I just looking Red at was that. After. Red was twenty. Okay. Yep. Red 2 was after. Uh, so it was kind of, yes. Okay. Yeah. So this was between the Reds. So it was good to see him back in kind of an action oriented. Um, a theatrical action so role. Because, yes, he has done a lot of straight-to-video action movies. Yes, especially uh, afterwards. And at this point now, we know more about the situation, which is very sad. Yeah. Very regrettable in many ways. Yes. So, you know, at the time, that's kind of one of the things I appreciated. But Ryan Johnson, which is funny, like, I I think if you're actually Irish, I don't think you pronounce it Ryan. It's more of a Ryan. But I might be wrong. But anyway... Yeah, he was an independent director at the time. He had two movies under his belt, Breck and The Brothers Blue. I had seen The Brothers Blue and I had seen Breck. And so I was kind of excited to see this because it'd be action-oriented. But I thought, oh, yeah, it's in the future. It's time travel and probably be very cerebral, not just kind of a straight shoot 'em up type movie. It is. It's very cerebral. There's action sequences in this movie. There's a lot to make you think about. Uh, there's a lot of thematic elements to it. But because it had been 10 years, I was very interested to get back into it and see it from a new perspective. Because I have very strong feelings about The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people do. <laughs> and it's funny because I actually respect Johnson as a director, but I think he was absolutely the wrong person for Last Jedi. And that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> um, because there's, there's moments of brilliance in The Last Jedi. He's, he's a very unique director, a very unique kind of um, voice in cinema right now. And he's a really good job with Looper. I think it held up really well when I watched it. Yes. You know, I was yes, glad I did. could set aside maybe that bias and be like, oh, yeah, no, screw him. Because it's really well done. And he's got such really good vision of how he wants to make a movie. He doesn't hold himself to kind of the rules. Yeah, he's he's definitely definitely an excellent filmmaker, and uh, I I've enjoyed the movies of his that I have seen, and I enjoyed Last Jedi. I'm one of those few people that enjoyed it. I would have done it differently if it were me making it, but you know, again, that's that's a discussion for another time. Maybe one of these days we'll do Last Jedi on this podcast. And I think if you haven't seen it, that's all the reason to talk about to help introduce you to. Uh, like you said, it's underrated kind of an undiscovered gem in a way still. And I don't know if part of it is because maybe some reaction to <laughs> Last Jedi. I don't yeah. know. But so I don't know if you want to start with the kind of the setup, the basic premise of what's so, going on, because it is kind of yeah. convoluted. So as we find <laughs> out in the uh voiceover by uh Joseph Gordon Levitt at the beginning of the movie, at the present time in the movie, time travel hasn't been invented. But thirty years after that, it will be. So Basically, the mob in the future, as uh, or, well, shortly after the time travel well, has been invented, it was a, a it's made pretty illegal, immediately illegal. It's like so highly illegal. Yes, not like it's yeah. Made, it's they so, understand particular ramifications. Yeah. So the mob has taken advantage of the time travel technology, and when they want to get rid of somebody, they send them back in time, where they have a group of people known as loopers who are essentially assassins, who uh, they capture the person, who the future mob captures the person, sends them back in time, and they appear in front of the looper, who then kills them and disposes of the body, making it so that they never existed. 
one of the things I liked about this aspect before we kind of get into the whole setup is kind of made me think of you think about like classic assassinations or executions, I should say, you know, where like you think about the guillotine or an axe or whatever it might be, right? Where the executioner's head is covered, they kind of flip it, right? You yeah. know. You know, we see a looper and then the victim yeah, when, the, the, when they're sent back in time, they have a hood over their head. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But the other wrinkle of it is, though, is that they don't want that getting back to anybody. So at some point, they need to close. Yes. Kind of they, need to, the loop. They, clo- they call it closing the loop. When uh, they are done with a particular looper, they will find their future self if they're still alive in the future. And they will send, send their future self back to them so that they can kill themselves, basically. They can kill their future self. And what we didn't mention before was uh, each person that's sent back, on their back, they have strapped uh, silver bars as payment for the looper. Yes. So after the looper kills the person, then they collect the silver and they go and deposit it in the bank. Now, when they're closing yeah. the loop, they when get a gold it's a bunch of gold. <laughs> so, uh, and they can enjoy a good gold, you know, golden retirement, right? Yeah. So they go and they usually, you know, people who just had their loops closed, they'll usually go and use that gold to party and invite all their friends. And then, you know, they can enjoy the next 30 years until they're sent back in time to be killed by their younger selves. And, you know, there's a, I guess there's a certain aspect of this when you get to this certain point where part of it is you don't need two of them walking around. Because, again, time travel is difficult. They don't go, you know, I like there's a line later in the movies, like, don't think too much about it. Yeah. Right? They don't, they don't spend too much time digesting the different lines, and we can get into that because it is really important later within the actual story of what's happening within the movie. But originally, that assassin would get to 2070 or 2080, having never been an assassin. And then time travels in Bennett, and now they yeah, the storyline, you know, we find fairly early on yeah. the person that's in charge of the loopers. Jeff Daniels' character, yeah. Jeff Daniels, right? He was a... To, Kind of be the boss. Of the yeah, loopers, he right? was sent back in time from the future so that he could be in charge of the loopers. And that kind of, you know, that helps establish that he's, you know, we see it in his conversations with Joe that he found him. You know, like, so it helps establish that, yeah, he found different people he wanted to help be these assassins, be loopers in the present day, 2040B, if it's whatever we want to call it. So, yeah, so now then obviously. Well, yeah, over time, you need to eliminate that person from the future to kind of not cause any yeah, to tie up loose ends. But yeah, so like we said, Joseph Gordon Levitt plays Joe. He's one of these loopers, and the loopers are all he's given the one providing uh, the narration. You know, so as most of these things, you need some exposition to kind of describe it all. Since you're yeah. kind of just dumped into the future in this circumstance. Yeah. So and so each of the uh, loopers are given a blunderbuss to do the assassinations, which uh, in the in the case of the movie is kind of a pump action shotgun kind of thing that looks yeah. more like the old fashioned blunderbuss from uh, back in the pirate days, the precursor to the shotgun. But then uh, Jeff Daniels bodyguards, basically his personal hitmen are called gat men. They have gats, which are basically just revolvers with a long barrel. They're just, you know standard guns basically so there are a few clashes between the two groups at times throughout the movie yeah and i like that aspect too and you know as you see you know jeff daniels he's you know he's like a club and you know 
I like that you kind of have even like the loopers they hang out together. Well, the first one we see with him is Paul Dano's character, right? Seth. And we find out that, you know, there's certain people in the future have telekinesis. Yes, they're called TKs. And they very, very creative name for telekinetic people. <laughs> and you know, it's established kind of quickly that, you know, there's varying levels of how strongly they exhibit. Yes. Most of the time, right. TKs will just sit there and, you know, make quarters float <laughs> and try to impress people with it. But one of the, you know, Paul Dano plays, like I said, Seth, Joe's colleague, he exhibits it. And, you know, I liked kind of some of that, all that setup as you're seeing the Gapmen and the Loopers. You, know, you get these hints to the future. You know, I always like when these futuristic movies don't look super futuristic, but it seems grounded and still kind of like a dirty city. But there is updates, obviously. I think the movie establishes it well. One of my favorite things about the movie is that it establishes the world really, really well. Yeah, right? it does. Even without even having to use words or directly referencing it. You know, it's just stuff that's in the background, how the set's designed. It tells all well thought out. But then it is, and there's other details you're talking about in the more insular world of the mob there, right? The Gatmen, the loopers, though, what are the weapons that they're using? Like, how they're responding to each other. That stuff is really well done. It's really good. Anyway, that's the start of the movie. That's all that really well. And then... You, know, you understand that Joe's a looper. His boss, who said, uh, Jeff Daniels, Abe, right? He is the mob's representative. Mm-hmm. In the present day, we have all the details we know. And then it's one night after they're out with the club that Abe owns, right? Seth comes in. And he's scared because he met his old self. Meaning that uh, his loop was supposed to be closed. Yes. And so he shows up at Joe's door after Joe spent the night partying at Jeff Daniels' nightclub. And... He is upset. He's telling Joe about what happened. He was doing his job. He was waiting for the uh, for his person to uh, to show up so that he kill him. And when he showed up, he was singing the song that Seth's mother used to sing to him when he was a kid. And that uh, another detail I really really like. Yes. So that clued Seth into who it was, and so he took the yeah. hood off his head and mm-hmm. saw that it was his future self who then told him about this new player in the uh, mob game in the future, that nobody knows what he looks like, nobody knows you know who he is, they just call him the Rainmaker. Yes. So he has uh, taken over and has begun closing all the loops. So the distraction was enough to get the future Seth time to escape. So he yep. ran off, and present-day Seth, basically, uh, he had, you know, blunderbusses only work about 15 yards or so, their effective range, and he basically let him go without intending to let him go, but uh, he just couldn't yep. pull the trigger while he was running away. What that's called is letting your loop run. Not and uh, since he let his loop run, he knew that Abe's goons were going to be after him. And uh, so he was trying to get Joe to hide him and to help him uh, get away. And Joe doesn't want to. And, you know, I get that. You know, it's, it's one of those things you always kind of think about within kind of these worlds of criminals, right? That old saying, right? There's no honor among thieves, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how far would they go? But he's willing, you know, he has stashed away all his silver because he well, just he's, wants, he's he stashed away half of it. it. He stashed away yes. half of it. He goes, like, right. yeah, because, yeah, uh, so when, when Joe, every time that Joe assassinates someone, he takes half the silver and he deposits it in his account, and then the other half he puts in a floor safe at his apartment. 
because his plan is to go to France when yes. he retires. His plan is after his loop is closed, he's going to go live off the rest of his life in France. Which that's so a reasonable thing. To yeah. Do. So he's been right. learning French and, we see and he's been saving his money learning French. so that he can afford wow. to so live you know, the rest of his life. It's in the floorboards of his loft, right? You know, he's got a loft in the city and he tries to hide him in there. But then the Gap men come to his apartment, you know, and they take him to go see Aid, right? And I love the scene because, like, Jeff Daniels is such a terrific yeah. actor. Yeah, he is. He's so versatile. <laughs> <laughs> he can do funny. He can do serious. He can do like, a mixture of both. Um, he can do everything. He is so calm in this scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt that you know he means business. And, you know, Levitt acts it really well, too. He yeah, knows he that he's serious about it. And it's like this very casual conversation that he has. They basically have Joe give up his friend. Yeah, it's a very it's, it's a very <laughs> casual conversation, but you can feel the weight of every word that yeah. Jeff Daniels says. So, you know, the, the next part of it's kind of terrifying, too, because you see the old staff now running away. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, you see something carved into his arm. Yeah. Yeah. So he sees a little arrow, like a scar on his wrist, pulls up a sleeve, and it has an address that he's, he needs to be at. It says, be at this address. And he knows what's happening. And so as he's running, trying to get to the to that address... Body parts start disappearing. Yeah. His foot disappears. He starts, so, you know, he's trying to limp on a stump and his nose disappears. And as he's trying to make it there, just different parts of his body keep disappearing because, as it turns out, the Gatmen have captured Seth and the doctor who <laughs> Jeff Daniels told his Gatmen to bring has been surgically removing bits of Paul Dano's body. And because his past yep. self was losing these, the future self didn't have them anymore. And I thought that was a really interesting way to go about it. Very. And, you know, and it's funny, at the end, like, he, he shows up there at the address, not much left to him, and then one of the Gatman's there waiting at the door and just shoots him dead. And we had mentioned this before, but they incinerate the bodies of all the people they kill. So they don't show that within this scene, but obviously that's what But during, during Joseph Gordon-Levitt's voiceover at the beginning, it did show him dropping a body down the chute to the incinerator. So there's that. So that's kind of the first setup of the movie. We have the world set up, and now we get into the actual plot, right? We have all the exposition. We have now. And as luck would have for Joe, next day he goes totally. I guess it seems like how they set it up. Each looper has a spot where they execute yes. um, yeah. their mark. And his is like in a cornfield. Yeah, his right? is out in a, in a cornfield, and he's got a pocket watch that he checks because they tell him exactly what time the person's supposed to show right. up. So he's checking um, his watch. So he's out there, he's waiting. And what's different about this one, even different from the one on with Seth, is there is no mask on this yes, guy. There's no, no bag on his head. And he doesn't really even, he almost looks like he kind of recognizes him, but not really. But, I mean, when Joe looks at him, he right. sees Bruce Willis. So, and like, you know, he might kind of think of how your future self might look like. <laughs> but, uh, um, but, yeah, so Bruce Willis, the future Joe, he's he's not only not hooded, but he his hands aren't tied. Is it not tied, right? His, hand, his, um, his wrists aren't tied together. So, once Joe sees him, he goes to pull the trigger. Bruce Willis is able to turn around and the the gold on his back takes the shot. So it uses that as a a sort of a bulletproof vest kind of thing. And it knocks some of the uh, some of the gold out of the pouch. So he picks up a piece of gold, throws it at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and runs away. 
Which I thought it was very interesting that, uh, I thought it was very well done that they tried to make Joseph Gordon-Levitt look like a young Bruce Willis throughout the movie. I did too. And I think it's interesting about this. I was bringing it up. In like, some some scenes, he know. just looks like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. and others, at certain angles, he looks like he could be young Bruce Willis. I think especially as the movie progresses, he really started to see it. And yeah. They do a really good I mean, job. I mean, they, they give Joseph Gordon-Levitt a prosthetic nose, so he yeah. actually looks like he has Bruce Willis's nose. And just certain ways, yeah. like with his eyes, the way he squints a little bit sometimes and... Just, it, yeah. I thought they did a really good job of there are some scenes totally. in particular where there are certain angles that where he looks like he could be a young Bruce Willis. Yeah. So I thought that was very well done. So, of course, since Joe inadvertently let his loop run, he's chasing him, trying to kill him so that he doesn't right. have the gap men coming after him. But he gets back to his apartment and they're already looking for him. They know pretty quickly that I didn't get away. That was intended to go. Yeah. Right. That he didn't close his loop. Yeah, so he's trying to explain to them through the locked door yeah. that you know he's he's going to take care of it. He's gonna he's gonna make mm-hmm. things right and sets out to try to find his older self while the Gap Men are still after him because they're not fully convinced. But yeah, and then so. from there it shows us really kind of the alternate kind of I guess the first yeah because timeline yeah Be- because Bruce Willis Joe. Yeah, so that's because uh, Bruce Willis was hiding outside in the alley because he knew where Joe was going to be because he remembered all this from when he was him. But the thing with time travel is one of the things with it is uh, memories, as explained by Bruce Willis later, which we'll get into more detail about that when that time comes. But basically, new memories and old memories coexist for a certain amount of time until... Yes, which I kind of thought was kind of a cool way of doing it. Yeah. So Bruce Willis because knew he could still be that he could still be that feature Joe that's of the present, but he still has his own memories on the other Joe. Yeah. Anyway. So because of that, he knows where Joe is, where he's going to be. So he's waiting for him. So Joe gets knocked off the fire escape outside of his window and ends up getting knocked out on when he lands on a car. And so to keep the Gatman from killing young Joe, old Joe sort of drags him away to protect him so that he doesn't disappear. So then, then that's where kind that's of when we get the explanation of what happened. Of that Joe's life. Yes. And we see that oh no, he he did close his loop. And right? he lived uh, he and lived the next thirty years. It's in China instead of France. Yes. Because and in that in the in the, in the uh, scene with Jeff Daniels earlier Which is one of my favorite lines of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm from the future. Go to go China. To China. <laughs> Yeah, because he's talking to uh, when when yeah when Jeff Daniels was talking to Joseph Gordon-Levitt earlier, he was talking about you know you're, so you're gonna go you're planning on going to China, right? And Joe tells him no, planning on going to going to France, and it's like I'm from the future, go to China. <laughs> so he goes to China, and so he really actually he goes to he France continues. first. He goes to he France first, doesn't he? Or does he go to or does bottom. he go straight to China? Still like an assassin. Uh, but yeah, so he goes, yeah, he, he goes to China after closing his loop in the original timeline and he runs out of money. So he's got to get back into a life of crime and just starts and spiraling, spiraling he's downhill addicted to a drug. Yes, he's addicted to a yeah. drug that is an eye drop form. So, yeah, so he'll he'll take eye drops to get high. But anyway, but yeah, so so his, his life starts spiraling out of control as he's living in China 
and he meets a woman. He sees her across the bar and she basically she helps him to kick the habit of these eye drops and nurses him back to health and they fall in love and they get married. But as you said, eventually his loop has closed. Yes. So one day several years of a very nice, peaceful, loving marriage. They come in to their house yes. there in China. And the mob break in breaks and... in and takes Bruce Willis, takes Joe, and they go and they send him back in time to be killed. And this time is when is the story that we've been following, where... Where he overpowers them and basically he kills all of them. Mm-hmm. And then he sends himself he back to, in time. But that's why there is, he is not bound, has no sack over his head. Yep, because he needs to go back in time and stop the Rainmaker before he becomes a thing. So we get this download, you know, they eventually meet at diner that Joe normally goes to after dispatching his, I guess. But, yes, but the the reason why they meet at that diner is because after Bruce Willis gets Joseph Gordon-Levitt off to safety, he leaves. So when Joseph Gordon-Levitt wakes up, and he's, he's got to contact yes. him somehow. So Bruce Willis looks down at his wrist, sees a scar that looks That's like true. an arrow on his wrist, and he sees Biat, just like old Paul Dano, old Seth had. And he pulls the sleeve back, and it says Beatrix, because the waitress at the diner, who Joseph Gordon-Levitt was speaking French with and has a crush on, is named Beatrix. So uh, I, I like this scene because, you know, they kind of established what happening again but like i kind of like this i like the disdain that they have for each other yeah it, but like it fits within that character yeah completely <laughs> right it, it's well done with it you know they, they can tell that's both the same character but they hate yeah they dislike each other you know maybe hate might be a little strong but there's definitely a strong dislike <laughs> Yeah, so so old Joe, Bruce Willis Joe, is telling young Joe about the Rainmaker. But he has more, he has more information about the Rainmaker. Yes. Exactly. He has a map with different with numbers written on it he and different coordinates. His numbers go to the identity of the Rainmaker. His yeah, idea so there's, is... There's three spots well, on this map, sir. The whole idea of killing young Hitler. Yeah. The whole idea of killing baby Hitler to, you know, end the Nazis before they happen. It's old Joe's... Line of thought. We Kill the Rainmaker when he's a kid, and then he doesn't grow up to be the Rainmaker. We discover within it, when we go capture old Joe, his wife gets killed as well. And his whole mission about it is to save her. Yes, because his wife is yeah. accidentally killed because she's out gardening out in the back, and yes. uh, she makes a noise, and one of the hitmen that's out there to to take Joe away gets startled, turns, shoots, and ends up shooting her in the stomach. So that's what he's concerned about, right? Saving his love. The person yes. that kind of saved him, he wants to save her. Yeah. And it's important, because it does come up later, and it stays consistent with the character later. Get there. But yeah, it's a good scene and established and all that. We know that, okay, he's very determined to kill the Rainmaker or Kid Rainmaker, right? So, um, you know, their breakfast is interrupted, right? Yeah, the Gatmen show up. And so while they're trying to, well, Bruce Willis Joe is trying to make his escape. Young Joe is trying to stop him, trying to keep him from running, ends up tearing off a piece of the map. He thinks he can save himself as well. Yeah. 
So he ends up tearing off a piece of the map that just happens to have one of the three spots that was circled on it. So Bruce Willis has two of the sets of coordinates. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has one. That's the last, yeah. That's the last <laughs> of the three. So as they're running, Bruce Willis has run away. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's chasing him along with the Gatman. Everybody's chasing Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis escapes into the cornfield, and they're all upset that he got away until I love the their reaction when they turn and see Joseph Gordon-Levitt standing there. <laughs> and then they all have the same realization <laughs> that, uh, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, yeah, he realizes that his older self just escaped, and he is within arm's reach of the Gatman. <laughs> so they're going to come after him. Yeah. <laughs> right when they realize the same thing. So <laughs> so he hops on Seth's bike because after Seth was killed, Joseph Gordon-Levitt took his hover bike. And the, the so he has trouble starting it just like Seth did because it was finicky. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally gets it started, <laughs> escapes into the cornfield and ends up on a farm. And he realizes, you know, he wants to find the farm. He kind of understands where his yeah. future self is going to go. Bruce Willis on the farm is Emily Blunt. Yes, Emily Blunt. And so she, they're at the farm. Bruce Willis goes back to the city. We get some scenes with him tracking down little kids. Yep, tracking down the kids. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but so um, so real quick. So Emily Blunt, the the uh, scene that introduced her character, right? It was a little bit earlier in the movie yes, than, than where we are now. But she is sitting on her front porch, pantomiming opening a pack of cigarettes and smoking a cigarette, right? Yeah. She never lights that fake cigarette. Nope. Did you notice that? She takes the pack yeah. out. She takes the cigarette out of the pack. She sort of taps the cigarette, and then she just puts it right in her mouth and starts smoking it. She doesn't bring out a, a, a little pretend lighter nope. and light it. I just thought that was that was kind of interesting. She's going through the rest of the steps, but doesn't light it. But anyway. you, know, I think, you know, this part is probably, it, I think, maybe the weakest part of the movie. It does kind of slow down a little bit. And I get with introducing in new characters and a new setting. And it is important because you're establishing the connection between the, the two characters. Because they're important to that, as we'll find out later. We have, like I said, Jessica Gordon-Love with Emily Bunt. She is Sarah, between Joe and Sarah. So, you know, taking time to establish that. But it does, I think, you know, the might be, might be a few things that could kind of tighten up a little bit because the, the, the first the, the setup of everything is really really well done because now we have old Joe searching for the two other young rainmakers and we have young Joe at the current young rainmakers house right yeah so uh, it's, it's really interesting relationship. The, the, the numbers uh, that Joe had because old Joe he had these numbers a string of numbers written on his hand right and, and uh, Emily Blunt's character reveals that it's birthday and then like a hospital code yes the birthday and the hospital so, code which are the birthday the, the birthday of her son who uh, and someone figured out in the hospital where he was born had three people born at this hospital on a certain day and then they figured out where they were living at that time yes and so that's As, the information that information was given to old joe mm-hmm. to bruce willis joe in the future before he came back in time and sarah character, she does have a young son he's like about five mm-hmm. six years old right I think it's very interesting in the relationship because, like, yeah. he doesn't really call her, like, mom. He calls her Sarah because he was raised by, well, it, it's revealed that he, he was basically he, the one, the woman that he thought was his mom was actually his aunt because yes. Sarah gave birth to him and she and was living a real bad her, life, real messed up life. And so her, her sister, sister 
So she gave so she gave her son to her sister so that she could raise him and give him a better life than she could have. But then her sister was killed, and so <laughs> Sarah took him back under her wing and raised him from then on. And so her son doesn't her, call her mom. Her son calls her Sarah. Like, yeah. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt comes stumbling onto the farm. Um, he is going through him. heavy withdrawal symptoms because it's been a while since he dropped. And, and so obviously she's distrustful because yeah. there's a stranger on the farm. And, and there are frequently vagrants that'll addict. wander on the farm. And so she's, and she knows he's, a, he's definitely an addict too, right? She knows that she can tell that. You know, she's trying to be protective of her son. And it makes sense. But he, you know, he ends up sleeping in the barn. So she she uh, she lets him to sleep in the barn until he feels better the next day, and then he's got to leave. Meanwhile, her son wants to wants to get to know him. Wants he sees him, and you know he's very quizzical. He's very he's he's asking a lot of questions about him. You know who's he? Who's that guy? You know why don't we help him? He's this smart, inquisitive little boy. You know it makes sense, and he gives him. You know he gives Joe the information about Sarah, and at least how he thinks that that's just his aunt, not actually his mom. Yeah. No, but he doesn't remember all that. Yeah, he's young, obviously. And there's a scene where he gets really angry with his mom. Yeah. So <laughs> after they get to know Joe a little bit, they learn that they can trust him, and he explains what's going on. Sarah already knows about loopers, about what they are. And so he explains that his older self is searching for the child version of the Rainmaker so that he can kill him before he grows up to become the Rainmaker. And so basically Sarah agrees to let Joe stay on the farm, stay, you know, sleep in the barn and everything so that he can protect her and her son. But yeah, so there's there's an interesting scene where they're working on math, where Sarah and, and her little boy are doing math together. Math, he not math. He answers the wrong question. Yes. So they're the going through t- the times that, tables. And uh, yeah, yeah, he purposefully tells the wrong answers answer. Incorrectly. And he keeps doing it. And... Then it's when we realize that he also is TK. Yeah, we find out that I think we found out before that, wasn't it, that Sarah had TK, that she was a TK? Yes, we would see her kind of kind of make her lighter float. That's just the lighter, that's right. Yeah, she was floating her lighter. With him, and I I mistakenly said this too the boy's name is Sid. Yes, the boy's Um, name is Sid. What the Gat Man earlier I was thinking about was Kid Blue. But with that scene, you see that he has TK too, and it is as strong as anything we've seen yes. so far. So the yeah, so the, the whole just kind of simple floating tricks. Yeah. So the the mystery of, of the Rainmaker in the future is that he one saw his mother die, saw his mother killed right in front of him. Yeah. Two, he's got a he's got an artificial jaw, and That's he's right. TK. Those are the three things that that we know about the Rainmaker. You know, in some ways, I, I now Sid this, like Sid doesn't have an artificial jaw, but it was heavily implied that uh, when his his yeah. surrogate mother, who was actually his aunt when she died, that he saw it happen, and he when we find out in this scene that he's a very strong TK because he, like we were saying, he purposefully gives the wrong answer to a multiplication problem and <laughs> yeah. adamantly keeps insisting that his answer is correct. And every time that <laughs> Sarah tells him that, you know, he needs to put the number where it belongs and give her the right answer, then he just keeps on getting madder and madder until things start to rumble. So she runs um, off, locks herself in a safe in her closet while he throws his tantrum. And uh, we found out later. It's a good scene. Why she locks herself in a safe anytime he throws a tantrum in the uh, Garrett Dolahunt scene that's coming up. Yes. But there is um, one scene before 
<laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, we'll get into that. It's yeah, we'll get into that. We can just discuss that. Yeah. Yeah, we can discuss that <laughs> when we get well to done. it. Like, but yeah. But I like this scene as well done and like it it adds enough mystery to really happening. Yeah. And I mean, and after his tantrum's done, then, you know, he's real apologetic. He's, you know, he's crying. And so Sarah goes and she's comforting yeah. him. You know, she's doing what any yep. mother would and she's comforting her son. So we move on to kind of a little later and get things that Garrett Delahunt's character. He, he comes to the house and he says, basically looking for old Joe. And young Joe is there in the house. And Sid basically helps young Joe hide, right? You know, it's it's funny, like you know. Yeah, because see, before uh, before we had uh, so before we get too deep into the scene, after they decided that Joe was going to stay in the barn and protect them, they oh, right. decided yeah. that they needed some way to communicate. Correct. And Sid wanted to uh, use his toys to give them a communicator, and so he got these little frog toys that he had, and he's a little genius boy. He's a little genius, five or six year old, and he made it so that if he linked them together, so that if you squeeze one of them, the other one croaks, and a little light, little yeah. LED light, you know, lights up. You know, little wireless communicators, so that they can warn each other if they notice something. Um, and of course, he was doing that secretly that. Yeah. because that was when Sarah didn't want Joe around Sid, and she yeah. didn't want Sid around <laughs> Joe. So while Sarah was sleeping one night, Sid brought Joe into the house and showed him what he had made. And yes, uh, that's right. And told him, told Joe to uh, try to convince Sarah that Joe had made him, but that <laughs> didn't work. Well, as soon as he yeah. showed him to Sarah, then he's like, "When? When did he make him? <laughs> you know, when? When did Sid give these to you?" So yeah, they have the warning system, and it works because Jesse shows up, and you know, it's funny. I I think this, this seems interesting because like he's threatening from the get go. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You know, he could have played it off a lot more sly than how he did it. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, there's a big difference between him and Kid Blue. Like, Kid Blue is incompetent. That, that, yeah. That's the thing that's kind of running throughout all of it. Yeah. Kid they Blue once, you know, shot his foot off, apparently. So they're always teasing him. <laughs> oh, are you going to shoot your other foot off? But uh, I kind of wonder in some ways. They don't talk about, like, does Kid Blue become Jeff Daniels? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I never really it, thought of that, kind but of yeah, it, it kind of, it would make sense seems, a little there's bit. There's a weird relationship between the two. Yeah. Kind of a father-son yeah, that, that, type of thing going that on. Never, that or, never crossed my mind, yeah. but now I'm wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they use the signal, and yeah, so, Joe comes in the house yeah, and so hides. And it's Joe, kind of like yeah, Joe comes in the house to hide while day. Jesse is searching the barn. And then Joe tells Sarah who Jesse is. And then he's actually a good guy. He likes Jesse. He and Jesse always got along. But Jesse is there searching for Joe because he's got to take him in. And so while Sarah and Jesse are in the living room and Joe's hiding behind the couch, Sid comes creeping down the stairs. Sarah sees him and tries to direct Jesse's attention away. And yep. uh, Sid comes down, opens up the little closet under the stairs so that Joe can escape. So they go through a little tunnel system that goes under the farm, and there's a trap door out in the field where they go and they wait until Jesse gets ready to leave. When Jesse leaves, and you know, that night, Joe goes back in the barn. They go back to the farmhouse. And then... And then... The, Sarah, uh, the, Sarah hits the... She's laying in bed, and she <laughs> hits the, the frog. And no, that's not yeah. a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> And, and you know, so Joe comes running Joe into the house because because uh, he thinks that there's something wrong. 
So he comes running up to uh, to Sarah's room, and then things happen. They do the deed. <laughs> yeah, as soon as he walks in the door, Sarah starts kissing him, and then the uh, you can you can guess what happened next. Anyway, and that's when the uh, next morning. Yes, the next morning, Sarah's making her lighter float while she's smoking a cigarette, and yep. Joe finds out by seeing a lighter float that Sarah is TK. He realizes that Sid also is DK. And he understands that, oh. Sid like, is, Sid is the Rainmaker. The Rainmaker. And so, now, yeah. now he's like actually conflicted. Because like, well, all this time, you really actually want to protect them. And now he knows that like, yeah, now, since it's a Rainmaker. Yeah. He doesn't know what to make of that yet. I, I like it. It's a nice wrinkle to it. Yeah. Um, well, meanwhile, there it keeps cutting back to uh, Bruce Willis. Who has killed a boy. Yes, he... he uh, one of the possible Rainmaker children. Um, yes. he, yeah, so he killed the boy and yes. then immediately is distraught and realizing that he didn't kill the right one and that yeah. he just killed a kid. And I was like, oh, I killed an innocent little yeah, boy. He just, I, so he drops to his knees, starts crying because he realized that not only did he not kill the Rainmaker, but he just killed an innocent child. Yeah. So, and then the next so. part is like, well, he's still determined to find the next one. This rundown apartment in the city. And he also, because he, because he, he he wants to he wants to continue doing it so they can find the right one because he needs to get his life back. He needs to be able to be back yes. with his wife in the future because ever since young Joe met Sarah, memories of her have been flooding in to old Joe's mind. That's right, and causing yes. him to forget his wife. He needs to remember because if and, things you know, keep and, on going this way for young Joe, then old Joe. When young Joe becomes old Joe, he will have never met his wife. So he needs... It's, it's a good way of um, yeah. playing it. So yeah, the, the whole thing with memories and time travel is new memories start to take over from the old existing memories already, but there's still time to get those old memories back. But you can't let too much time pass, otherwise you're not going to be able to get those old memories back. Nope. You've got to change stuff back to the way they were supposed to be going. So old Joe is determined to get rid of the Rainmaker as soon as possible. So he yeah. goes to the next house on the list. And what I like the next part is he it's like a rundown apartment in the city, and he recognizes the woman in the yes, apartment because it is uh, which who we haven't mentioned Piper earlier. Piper, yeah, Piper Parabo, who uh, was the stripper who Joe Joe like the, you know get along. With yeah, anytime that Joe would go and uh, hang out at the club. She was his favorite stripper. Apparently, it's her daughter. And so we kind of cut from that, and we get back to the farm. Yeah, as old Joe is peering in through the window, (laughs) it cuts back to the farm, to young Joe. Um, And we see that Jesse has returned to the farm and now has Sarah at gunpoint. He's trying to talk him down, and secretly, Sid's coming down the steps again. Sid's trying to come down the stairs again. And Um, what happens is, is he trips. Yeah, he trips, and, and as soon as Sarah sees that he's falling, Joe turns to try to catch him, and Sarah she runs. And Sarah runs. Looks like she's gonna go try to catch him, also. But it turns out that Sarah is going to tackle Joe and get him out the door because she knows what's happened. She knows what happens when next. Sid gets so scared like that. It's not just when he gets angry. No, when, when he gets, he gets scared, scared, like these negative yeah. emotions, is. Then he can't control his TK. His TK, thank you. Yeah, yeah. He can't it's control it. his TK when he gets when he has these emotional reactions. 
So it's really kind of cool. The scene's really cool though. Because yeah, because it's it's in slow motion. It's all in slow air. motion, and uh, so <laughs> Sarah gets Joe outside just in the nick of time, and they look back and see Garrett Dillahunt getting lifted up off his feet, and all the furniture's lifting up, and then you just see blood starting to pour out of Garrett Dillahunt, and it's all floating <laughs> too. And then he yeah, just goes limp. And then it goes back to normal speed, and the door blows out of the house like a bomb went off. Yeah. And uh, and at this point now, and so that's where we know why Sarah locks herself in a safe when Sid has his tantrums because it's the only safe place. And you know, that's like Joe is now like okay, he's very determined now to like, kill Sid. Sarah's explaining that like no, I'm trying to show him if he can really love people genuinely. Yeah. He won't become bad. Yeah, so so Joe goes after Sid. Sarah tells Sid to run into the cornfield. And so Joe is chasing him, finds Sid covered in Jesse's yeah. blood and with these big puppy dog eyes looking up at him. And Joe can't yeah, go no, through it's really, it. It's, it. I'm glad he said that because it's actually a really cool shot. Yeah, it really is. And it's done well. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, Joe sees him there, realizes what he's doing, realizes that he's going after a kid, an innocent yeah. kid. Whether he grows up to be the Rainmaker or not, at this point in time, he's an innocent child. So Joe he's can't go through it. He can't. He can't kill him. So he's he makes up his mind right there. He's going to protect this kid with his life if he has to yes. against his older self. And now uh, we cut back to his older self. He goes into the apartment and he goes and towards the bedroom. Opens the door and there's not a little kid in there. No. <laughs> Kid Blue. It's right? Kid Blue because he's got a taser. Yes, because Kid Blue, as we find out, uh, has been keeping tabs on on the house and saw right. Old Man Joe casing the place. So he uh, he decided he's going to spring a trap, and he just went with it. Like it's actually a good way to prove himself. Yeah, very good way to prove himself. So he so tases he and he's like he tases and he uh, Bruce Willis Joe about it. He gets too prideful about yep. it, and I, it's, it, what ensues is again probably like it might be my favorite part of the movie because Bruce Willis kills everybody. Yes, Bruce Willis gets to be Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah, so so Kid Blue takes him takes Bruce Willis back to uh, the club, back to Jeff Daniels headquarters to turn him in and get recognition for bringing him in. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis overpowers Kid Blue and basically just goes room by room taking everybody out. <laughs> he gets a hold of, of uh of some guns, and he just takes out the entire operation, including Jeff Daniels. And so then, with the whole mob taken down in the present day, um, he's still determined to take out. Still determined to take out the Rainmaker. So he goes to the final place on his map, the farm, so that he can go take out the Rainmaker. And he's met by his younger self on the road. So he explains to him, "Hey, just leave. Go live your life." I took care of the mob. They're not going to come after you anymore. Let me kill this kid. <laughs> and Joe's not going to let that happen. Young Joe is not going to let that happen. But yeah, so before that, though, he had told, because he knew that his older self was coming. So young Joe told Sarah to pack up as much as she could of hers and Sid's stuff in Jesse's truck and take that as far away as they could go. And while they're trying to get down the road, that's when old Joe shows up. Who uh, then Sid gets scared and uses his TK and ends up crashing both of the trucks. Yeah. The truck that they're cool in scene. and the one that old Joe is in. 
And so young Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, decides he's going to try to buy them time so that they can escape into the cornfield and get out of there. So he's trying to he's trying to talk his old self down. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, that's when old Joe tells him that he doesn't have to worry about people coming after him anymore. He can go live his life and be happy. But young Joe's not going to let that happen. And old Joe gets past him and is chasing Sarah and Sid. Shoots at Sid because he's got a gat. Got grazes his cheek. Yeah, he grazes his cheek, which then explains why in the future the Rainmaker has an artificial jaw. And then Sarah gets between old Joe and Sid. And old Joe is about to shoot Sarah. And Sid is getting upset. And so things are starting to lift up again. Everybody's starting to lift up. And it's going to be another Jesse situation. Until young Joe starts seeing things. Yes. Young Joe starts seeing things. He sees kind of the future of what's going to happen. Yeah. Starts seeing that old Joe is going to kill Sarah. Sid is going to escape, get on a train, and eventually become the Rainmaker. Because he's got to grow up by himself without, without a mother. His mother. Yeah, murdered right in front of him. And what was explained after the uh, incident with Jesse was that Sid's surrogate mother, his aunt, was actually killed by one of Sid's mm-hmm. tantrums. Yes. That, yeah, she was killed by, he was having a tantrum, and basically she died the same way that Jesse did. So we start seeing what's going to happen. And then after it shows what the possible future of what, uh, or rather the original future of Sid growing up to be the Rainmaker, then it cuts back to what's going on at the time. And yep. it ends up being that, you know, it, it's, it's revealed that he grows up to be the Rainmaker because he doesn't have Sarah to raise him. Because she was murdered right in front of him. The whole thing is that she wanted to show him how to be good. Yeah. She's not there to show him so, how to be good. But it's, it's, it's great because it's about to be another Jesse situation. Everybody's floating. And then all of a sudden you just hear her whispering. You hear Sarah whispering to Sid, telling him that everything's going to be okay. Yes. I love that part of it. Yep. That it's okay. And he calms down. He's able to focus in through all of it. Right? Yeah, he's able you know, to focus it and just down. focus on her voice. And he calms down. Everything gets dropped back down to the ground. Everybody's okay. Old Joe gets back up, raises his gun on Sarah. Young Joe's too far back because he knows that he, all he has is his blunderbuss. And he knows that right. that doesn't, it's, it's sure, worthless right. past 15 yards. And he's way yeah. beyond 15 yards from where they are. So he realizes that the only way to stop old Joe is to stop young Joe. So he turns the blunderbuss yep, on himself, erase, old Joe. kills himself with it. And, old Joe disappears. And Sid and Sarah can live together. I, I love the solution of it because, as we talked about, as the memories were being replaced, the old Joe had this love that animated him to be a better person, right? Yeah. And he wanted to save that. And it comes back around to young Joe. He falls in love with Sarah. And she makes him want to be a better person. She makes him be a better person. And he does what he needs to do to save that as well. Even if that means killing himself. He sacrifices himself so that Sarah can survive to raise it. it's still all completely within character of Joe. Yeah. Like, you see both of them, like, going back to the dynasty and being kind of these arrogant little assholes to each other. But then, you know, you get to see that soft side where they're willing to do what's necessary for someone that love. Yeah. Right? Or wanting to do whatever they can to protect them. Very and well it's done. It's character, and it's well done. So, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, the movie ends, you know, you got some really big action sequences, but it ends kind of quietly like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a good way to end the movie, and I think, you know, like you said, Rain Johnson, like, he built his own world. He does a good job of it in terms of explaining 
how everything operates and adding in the little details. But then the most part, most of it just seems like you look at most everything else within the movie, say for some of the background stuff, just feels like it's just a very normal farmhouse, very normal apartment building, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the cars are no newer than 2012, but right. all the cars on the road, you, you know, see, they have they have solar panels strapped to them. Right. <laughs> you know, instead of like little biplanes that might water the crops, they have like little... Yeah, they have little drones. Go. They have drones right, that go know, and do it. You know, so there's, there's, there's updated stuff like that, right? You know, And, and then, you, of course, you have the hover bikes that's basically just a big jet bikes. engine with a seat. You have the drug that Joe uses where it's an eye drop in the eye. You know, it's little things like that. So, and obviously, time travel. Yeah, time travel. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the near future, and it's a lived-in yeah. future. Right. The lived, uh, uh, it's very U.S. and a lived-in aspect. And... Not like problems went away, you know. So I just get into the future. It seems like, oh yeah, all the problems have been solved. No, no they yeah. haven't. You know, there's no robots or anything like that, or people pretending like world peace is what and or is it super dystopian? Right? No, it's just this lived-in world. Yeah. Well, I think the other aspect, like you were saying, what you were saying with that, I think keeping the consistency of character, right? Especially Joe. I've seen theories out there. Was Joe the rain I I don't that. No, no, Joe. I don't. I don't think you know, no. Um, um, I don't think that Joe was the rainmaker. You know, but Joe traveling back in time was the reason for the rainmaker. Was the catalyst for the rainmaker? Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. So I I don't think that the initial timeline of time travel is made illegal. The mob bosses of yeah. the twenty seventies or twenty eighties. Like, okay, we're going to start use it. So we go back. At that point, there's no Rainmaker. But the process of that is what yeah. initiated the Rainmaker. I mean, it's the whole right. grandfather paradox, um, you know? <laughs> Joe yeah. went back in time um, to kill the Rainmaker. And the reason the Rainmaker exists is because Joe went back in time to kill the Rainmaker yeah. and ended up killing his mother. Exactly. You know, again, we, have, we haven't mentioned it. But there's echoes of the Terminator within there, right? Got to kill John Connor. Like, killing Sarah Connor. And then that failed, still kill John Connor. But, you know, I think I've seen reasonable people try to extrapolate through how time travel works with it. Is he does, no, we don't know. Just at this point, it's like the end of Terminator 2, right? The future's uncertain. Yeah. Right? It hasn't been written That's yet. Open road. There's um, no fate but what we make for ourselves. He could still become the Rainmaker, right? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, at that, but at that point, it doesn't matter within what's happened in the story. And yeah, I guess it wasn't a, it wasn't a grandfather paradox. It was just a paradox, but yeah, it had nothing to do with Bruce Willis going back in time and killing his grandfather. <laughs> but but no, it was just a paradox. But so yeah, there's plenty to think about it and see how it all works. And it, it's the thing I think about Rain Johnson. Like I'll be honest, I actually haven't seen Knives Out. I haven't uh, either. I haven't time. seen Knives Out either. I've I've heard great things uh, about it. I have too. Maybe we should do it on the podcast sometime. Maybe we'll you know? do it as a future podcast. Yeah. That's right been out long enough but he he knows what he wants to create and he does it well and i think this is a great movie to show it. and i think that's not to go back into star wars because one of the limiting factors of him directing star wars is that he had to deal with a world that wasn't his yeah 
Yeah, he does his best work when he's in control of everything from start to finish. And Star Wars was an established considering world. considering that Last Jedi was a middle part of a trilogy yeah. where yeah. He, maybe he would have been better off directing Force Awakens. Yeah. Where you kind of start going off on new tangents. Um, now, he, he is, from what I understand, he's still slated to have his own trilogy. We'll there was, for a while there, um, it was it was thought that he might that you know his trilogy, his Star Wars trilogy, might have been canceled. But last I heard, it was still on. He's still slated okay. to uh, direct his own trilogy in the Star Wars universe. Uh, which I uh, mean, it, he he would have a lot more control of that. I mean, yeah, it's still the Star Wars universe, which has been established a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But with it being his own story in that universe, not having it be the middle portion of a trilogy. Right. He's picking up what J.J. Abrams was doing. Yeah. J.J. Abrams is restarting something that was established and using established characters, but they could have gone in new directions. But now he had to connect point A to point C. Right. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to like, well, anyway, we only get into that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's on. a discussion we're for not, a whole, whole other podcast. But, but he's, so inventive of a mind that, that that's the point that i'm trying to make on this is that he has a vision he comes to he respects that vision and like he loves the vision that he has he wants to see it through and you see it in looper yeah there's this war that he came up with his own story he's committed to it and it's definitely a movie worth checking out and i would you know check any of his other movies out you know like i said brick Bloom, and then you also have the glass onion movies uh, yep. knives, knives, knives out, out movies, glass onion. Excuse me, knives out. Definitely, I do want. It's funny, like, I do want to see both of them because I've heard good things, yeah. and I respect what he's done with his other movies. Yeah, me too. I, I, yeah, I've been. I've, I've, I've wanted to. I've wanted to see them ever since you know they first came out. I just haven't gotten the chance to watch it. And then we we kind of said also earlier about like Bruce Willis, but like it's tricky with this movie too because like I was excited to see like kind of an aging action type of role, and we get to see really good like Bruce Willis action. But it's kind of a shame that this is like in some ways it's kind of like the last of it, right? The Red Two came in after it, I guess. Yeah, Red Two came uh, after it. Then he had the remake of Death Wish. Yeah, but those. I don't, kind of hope after this there might be a new movie for him or a new role but, uh, death was your remake so like yeah. some, something was kind of original yeah i mean it never in, came. some of his straight to video stuff or limited release in theaters movies you know have, i've seen a few of them and you know they're they're not bad some of them are worse than others <laughs> one of them has 50 cent in it and that's i think that says enough <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so and and now now you know with with all of his health issues that have have uh, come to light recently, it it, it you know it, it explains a lot as to why he's done all these straight to video movies. Yeah, you know? um, he was on the verge of retirement because of of his uh, aphasia diagnosis, and he was he was wanting got, to have, uh, get get I guess kind of the last one money for his family. And again, it's not an original movie. I haven't actually seen it yet. Is it surprising his role in Glass, Unbreakable? Yeah, I enjoyed that. I, so, all three of those movies I enjoyed. You know, he was in G.I. Joe 2. It's kind of one of his last... He played um, Joe in G.I. Joe 2. Remake movie. In G.I. Joe Retaliation. <laughs> he played G.I. Joe. Kind of one of his last non-franchise type movie. 
But that's Looper. Like I said, I love. I think it's uh, it held up for me. Me too. Me it. too. It's it, it's, I've always enjoyed it ever since I saw it in the theater. I've always thought it was a good movie, and it's very, very underrated. I think it definitely deserves a higher place in the pantheon of good movies. Definitely. And it's not thought of enough when thinking of you know not just a good movie, but a good time travel movie. You know, it's a solid premise. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good story. You know, it's it's Bruce Willis' second time travel movie after uh, 12 Monkeys, unless there was like one or two more in there that I'm not thinking of. But I'm sure if there are, then people will let us know in the comments. Any of the Look Who's Talking Look movies. Talking, Look Who's Talking trilogy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We got that. We got that man. He's talking. Christy yes. Allen. Yeah. John Travolta. It won't be a Dukakis. <laughs> and, and look who's talking too. We had Roseanne. <laughs> anyway. But. Yeah. I hope you enjoy Looper. Go check it out if you haven't. Yes. Yes. Definitely. It's definitely worth a watch. I highly recommend it. But anyway. So that is that is Looper. Um, so. We're going to, our next, uh, the next one, we're going to, we're going to move a little bit closer to, to a current movie. Uh, We're going to go with the movie that came out in 2019. The most recent Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So. Exciting to do, because I don't know what people out there, you know, in terms of what they've seen, but I think it's kind of like, you know, like Tarantino originally, I think of like Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, Rebel Dogs, right now. Uh, we're going to go recent with that. We're not going to start with. Yeah, we're not going to start with his Pulp classics. Fiction, which I would, I would have thought we might have started with Pulp Fiction. We're going to start with his most recent one. Yeah, um, so once upon a time in Hollywood. A lot of really good thoughts about this movie. It's uh, sort of his uh, his alternate history of the Sharon Tate Charles Manson story. Yeah, late sixties Hollywood. Yeah, nineteen sixty nine Hollywood to be exact. Yes, but uh, but anyway, and uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, go out. Watch it or don't watch it. See it. You'll watch it again. Yeah. Tarantino movies generally have a lot of rewatchability. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk about it because I know you you know, this will be your first watching of it. Yep. So yep. my second watching of it. It's be a good discussion. Yes, it will be. I uh, look forward to uh to discussing that one with you. And hey, check us out on social media. Uh, we are on Facebook and Instagram. Our uh, handle is Robin Tony's Cinematic Adventure. Uh, it is all spelled out. The and is spelled out. It's not an ampersand, unlike the name of the podcast, which is an ampersand, but it's Robin Tony's Cinematic Adventure, all spelled out for Facebook and Instagram. We are also on Twitter, or X, if you want to call it that. That is RNT Cinematic. And we are also on Letterboxd. So if you have a Letterboxd account, check us out there. That is Cine Adventure or Sign Adventure, however you want to pronounce that. But that is C-I-N-E Adventure. Uh, and if you want to send us an email, let us know what you think of the podcast, request movies, whatever you want to do with the email, except send a spam. Please don't do that. But that is Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure, all spelled out. Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure at gmail.com. Nice and simple. So check us out in those places and go on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe to our podcast. Give us a listen. Let us know what you think in the comments. Leave us some good reviews. That's how we move up in the standings and in the search and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, check us out and help us to uh, have a successful podcast so we can keep on bringing these wonderful movies to your ears. So anyway, 
Uh, join us next time for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We will see you then. Bye.